This is JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with Joseph Hollins, the former apprenticeship director in Louisiana. We will talk to state apprenticeship directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start registered apprenticeship in your community. Today, we go to New Mexico to talk to the state director there, Katrina. Katrina, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Katrina, you are the director in New Mexico. How long have you been the director in New Mexico? Almost eight years. It'll be eight years on June 11th or 12th, I believe. Wow, that's great. Can you tell us a little bit about your staff structure for apprenticeship in New Mexico? Uh, We know that traditionally every department has an ATR, um, but can you tell us about your staff structure and maybe some of the other positions that are unique to New Mexico? Sure. So in New Mexico, we have myself as the state director, and then we have one management analyst, which is the title used in New Mexico, but it's basically for our state or state and local personnel titles, but it is basically she is the apprenticeship training representative. So we have one training representative and um, an administrative person. So that was our structure up until January of this year. In January, we did receive the apprenticeship state expansion grant, which enabled us to bring on an additional ATR. And we also brought on a apprenticeship advisor. So his primary role will be assisting in kind of retention efforts because we do have such a high retention, I mean, uh, cancellation um, in New Mexico, primarily with our building construction trades. So he will be focusing his efforts on just identifying some of the risk factors of them dropping out of the program um, and trying to provide resources and intervening to provide support to the apprentices and the programs as well. Um, the ATRs, obviously, they're they're doing some of their marketing outreach. They'll be doing their compliance, that type of stuff. Uh, the other uh, position we will be bringing on board here within the next couple months, hopefully, um, is a grant manager. That was a requirement of the ASE grant that we received. So their primary function will be the 100% oversight and administration of the grant to ensure that we're following up on performance and doing what we need to do in that regard. Um, The other piece that just recently started probably back in February is that um, each of our regions now has an apprenticeship representative that will be helping with uh, marketing and outreach efforts. So we have one person in the northern region of the state. They were actually hired on with... um, just some of the state funding resources within the the agency. So we're with the Department of Workforce Solution is the agency we fall under. So they're being paid for um, with just various funding, um, is my understanding. We also have a person in the southern part of the state that is funded the same way. And then we have, oh, and one in another one in the eastern part. And in addition to that, we have two individuals, one here in the central region and another one in the eastern region that are partly funded by um, the local workforce board to assist with apprenticeship efforts. So we have really expanded um, in an effort to grow registered apprenticeship. So um, this whole COVID piece has kind of put a little damper on things, but um, we're hoping to, to start rearing up with 
our outreach activities again here in the the next month or so. It sounds like you all are really growing staff-wise and uh, that regional approach is something I've heard from the other directors that it kind of seems to be a, a best practice now to kind of have apprenticeship staff planted in uh, different regions to, to be able to really relate to the business owners and the apprentices in that region. What are some recent highlights for registered apprenticeship in your state? Uh, new industries or growth? I'm sure that these new staffers have done done some good things. You know, New Mexico has a fairly small registered apprenticeship system. I would say we probably have about 37 programs. Um, and as of yesterday, we had our council meeting and I reported to our council, we were at 1,791 registered apprentices. So since I've been on board, that is actually our highest number of registered apprentices. So within the last few, I would say probably six to nine months, We've registered three new programs. Um, one of them is M3B, which they're doing nuclear waste removal. With um, They're a contractor with one of the national labs here in New Mexico. Um, they're probably at about 10 apprentices. Uh, so that was something definitely different. Um, it is a state-registered program. However, they are not yet registered. It, it, the occupation is not yet recognized at the, the federal level. So we hope to work uh, in becoming that becoming federally registered because they do have some nuclear waste sites in other parts of the U.S. that they would like to, to proceed in registering programs in other states. Um, the other one is a, a fairly small, but it's a uh, field and laboratory technician uh, program that we registered. Um, I believe they may just have two apprentices right now, but they do hope to expand. So they're doing like all the the feel or the soil and just inspecting the soil, I guess, before they actually register. We do hope to see some positive outcomes with a couple programs we're working with. One is um, affordable solar. They are looking to register uh, a solar electrical program here in August, I think is when they're planning on going before the council. And another one is um, one of our previous programs. It was just a one-man apprentice uh, back in the day, but it was um, Kirk Air. So they do some of the HVAC um, type, type work, but they have been bought out by a larger company, Cloverleaf Solutions. Um, so they're in the process of registering their program as well, developing their program standards. So we're hoping we'll get some out of that. Our focus industries with the, the ASE grants, however, are the um, hospitality and tourism and medical. So obviously there's going to be some impact to the hospitality and tourism piece um, with the whole COVID-19. So I don't know how we're going to proceed with that, but I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. So once things open back up here in New Mexico, we'll have a better idea of how we're going to proceed with that. Even the medical field has been, they've had some impact here because they're not performing just some of the routine care that, you know, the hospitals um, or even medical facilities tend to give because the focus has been on the COVID um, and only non an emergency. So there's been an impact on that. But hopefully once things open up again, we're, we're still hoping that that industry will be viable enough that we can still 
kind of grow into that area since the majority of our programs here in New Mexico currently are the building construction trades and some of the electrical utilities. We also have an IT apprenticeship program. They have five different occupations. That was through the initial AAI grant that they got funding for. So that is winding down in September of this year, I believe. So we're remaining hopeful that they will be able to retain their program because right now that is the greatest interest as far as um, people submitting on our website. They can go in and submit for, or they just inquire about the occupation. And those are definitely the the highest um, in-demand apprenticeship programs that we're getting from individuals. we're hopeful they'll be able to sustain their program, but not sure. I think that the, all of those are some really good and innovative ideas. That nuclear waste one, it kind of sounds like something that is apprenticeship made, right? It seems like it's highly technical and it's something that if you don't do it the correct way, if you don't have the correct training, some negative things can happen. And so, um, definitely. You mentioned that nuclear waste program yeah. and how that is not a program that uh, DOL has put on the apprenticeship occupations list. Correct. What would you say makes your state stand out from other SAA states or the OA? Is it, do you have more occupations like that where it's, it's not on DOL apprenticeship occupations list, but it's something that works in New Mexico or are there some other things that makes your state stand out from other states? You know, the whole solar piece, I think my, um, you know, there are other states, obviously, that stand out because they have a lot of sunlight the whole 365 days a year. But typically in New Mexico, we do have that. In addition to some of the cold, there's usually sunlight every day. So hoping that that will even move into, you know, something a little more. Unfortunately, that's another occupation that is not um, on the Federal Department of Labor um, apprentice occupations list for the solar electrical piece or even solar installers for that regard. But, you know, I think um, New Mexico, probably a couple things that make us unique are, are our national labs. We have two national labs in the state. Both of them have registered apprenticeship programs with Los Alamos labs. You know, they have the contractor N3D now that's doing the nuclear waste removal, and they also have a machinist program. And then we have Sandia National Labs, who they have uh, about three different registered occupations as well, one being kind of the machinist. The other ones are just titles that, you know, without diving a little more into what they actually are, I, I, I couldn't give you a, a really good description of exactly what, what they're doing. But, um, you know, there's definitely uh, quite a bit going on here that we weren't aware of in manufacturing that with our last apprenticeship grant, we were able to kind of do some more um, research and finding out exactly what the state, what there is and the possibility of growing apprenticeship in manufacturing as well. Um, Ketter Plastics relocated, well, not relocated. They actually opened a plant here in New Mexico been about maybe two years now and um, we were in the process of working with them to register the program and they they actually had different people coming in and taking over so it just never came to fruition but um, now that they've actually finished their facility and started operations we're hoping we can be able to go in and 
start working a little more with them and just manufacturing in general, even now that we have a, a better understanding of the manufacturing industry in New Mexico and even the possibility of, you know, some of the manufacturers here moving into manufacturing other things um, in lieu of this whole COVID piece. Yeah, I, th- I think that that is some really great things. And we know that SAA states do have the ability to create some occupations that are maybe outside of the apprenticeship occupations list. But uh, it seems like in New Mexico, you all have been able to really see what the need is in New Mexico and, and develop those standards around those uh, occupations that uh, DOL has not yet tapped into. And I, I think that that is really great and makes you all stand out. So a company comes into New Mexico. What is the first thing that uh, they should do if they're interested in starting a registered apprenticeship program? And we know that it used to be just union programs or non-union programs, and it's traditionally just construction trade. But now you have intermediaries and you have uh, nonprofits and you have training providers trying to be sponsors. So does the first thing that a particular organization should do, does it vary based on uh, what kind of organization it is, or is it the same kind of pathway and entryway for every organization interested in starting a program? It is basically the same pathway for everyone. So really what, what we advise is that they contact our office directly, usually via a phone call, or if they prefer an in-person meeting, we just kind of give them the rundown to, to ensure they understand what's required of a registered apprenticeship program and to ensure they have all of the components necessary to, to proceed in registering the program. Um, so a lot of times they, they actually don't realize, you know, that what it involves or that they have to have curriculum or, or, or partnership with somebody that can provide that piece. A lot of them tend to even assume that an internship is an apprenticeship or that they're, they're one and the same, um, which obviously they are not. So it's a lot of times it's um, an educational process for them. Um, so we, we just spend some time meeting with them, telling them about it. Um, if they determine, oh, no, this isn't what I thought about at all, then we'll try and provide other resources that we that are available through our agency to guide them to provide their, whatever they may be needing. And if it is the path they want to take, then we... Um, provide them with our boilerplate template. We assist them, provide guidance. You know, this is these are the regulatory requirements for a registered program. You know, you can, you're welcome to change the language as needed or whatever. And then we actually sit and meet with them to to go over those standards. We just questions. And before it was like they would get the templates and then they would just go before the council. Sometimes be denied two or three times before you know actually. Um, getting the approval from the council. So um, now by actually meeting with them this way, um, providing that assistance and guidance, um, it, it's really been instrumental in a quicker process in them getting the approval through the council. So even once we've met with them and we feel they have a near final set of standards, we engage a couple of our council members just to kind of review them and provide some feedback and recommendations. Um, prior to going before the full council. So then 
they, they go before the full council at that point. Um, obviously, the council makes a recommendation. As a state agency, we have the final authority. And then they're, once they're approved, then we enter them. We have an independent um, system. We do not utilize the rapid system for, for apprenticeship tracking in our state. So we enter their data into our system and they create their account and they're able to start registering and tracking apprentices through our system. Sounds like an easy process. And so I heard you mention the standards template. And so when, when a company says apprenticeship, registered apprenticeship is something we want to do, and you give them the standards template, is there a particular person in your office uh, that they reach out to that that is there to expressly help them fill out that standards template? Yeah, that used to actually be myself and one my one apprenticeship training representative, Tanya. Um, so now that we have a, uh, an additional apprenticeship training representative on site, um, I've kind of pushed that off to Tanya as our lead person and um, Angie as our other person. So they're they're actually taking the lead and um, working directly with potential programs to to assist them and provide that technical assistance and writing the program standards. And so how long that whole process you described with the program development and then working with a council member and going before the council, how long on average, if a program organization comes ready for registered apprenticeship, how long would it take them to go through that whole process? You know, if they're actually ready and they already have a, a full understanding of apprenticeship and have all of the elements in place, we can get it done within, you know, two to three months, just depending on what month it is, because our our council meets quarterly, the second month of the quarter. So um, if they're able to get that document finalized within 30 days of our council meeting, because those standards would have to go to our council 30 days prior to the meeting for review and approval. Or for review, excuse me. So um, I would say it could be sometimes less than three months if they come in and, you know, are ready to get going. We we definitely make ourselves available to meet with them um, as soon as possible and begin those meetings. So it can take anywhere from, I would say, two to six months, just depending on where they're at with, you know, with yeah. the program, potential program. Have you done anything in your eight years as director to kind of streamline this process and, and make it uh, faster? Did it used to be longer? It did used to be longer. Um, so that is one of the processes that changed when I came in was because, like I said before, it was just like, okay, here's a template, fill it out, come before the council on this date. And literally programs are getting denied you know, two or three times. So that could be six to nine months that they were, you know, pushed back and they they weren't able to proceed with their program. So now every time that they've gone before the council, every new potential or every new program that's gone before the council has gotten approved on their first time appearing before the council um, by us working directly with them, having those individualized meetings and then engaging the council members. So. So that was definitely one one of the things that has helped streamline the process. You know, it does take a little more time on our end to actually 
meet with them, but we would prefer to do that than them having to go before the council and get denied that many times. I agree with you, Katrina. It actually kind of makes me chuckle and gives gives me flashbacks at the same time to my days as director in Louisiana, because when I came in, it was the exact same way where someone would go before the council two or three times. So I think that that is maybe something that is kind of prevalent amongst many states. And, you know, the other benefit to that is that we, we actually get to know a little bit more about their organization, their setup. You know, a lot of times we'll go to their facility to see the facility, um, see the setup where they actually plan on training the apprentices and really to address their questions and provide some of that guidance that, that you know, as far as uh, tracking the paperwork that's going to be involved in the administration of the program the application processes, you know, to really engage them in those conversations and determine for them to think about and determine how are you going to bring apprentices into the program? It's not just a matter of, you know, okay, anybody just comes in and then you like somebody better than the other, the whole EEO piece and um, the affirmative action piece that we're able to engage in conversation and educate them on. So, I think it's really a helpful process versus just giving them a document and here, fill it out to, to give them a better understanding of the expectations of being a registered apprenticeship program sponsor as well. I'm sure the programs or the potential programs appreciate uh, that instead of having to come and then come back again the next quarter and then come back again the next quarter, there's kind of that established rapport there so that there's constant communication in between your office and those potential programs. Right. I'm sure they do. They definitely have expressed their appreciation for that and even just the assistance and guidance that we've provided to them in the process. Throughout this process, uh, an organization comes to you and wants to register. What is usually the major hiccup, the major hanging point that can delay the registration process for a given program and and how can a potential program plan for that? You know, I think some of the hiccups that we have encountered are that they they may not already have um, related technical instruction or source to to utilize for related technical instruction. So then kind of working with them and trying to to even develop curriculum. And you know what? I'm sorry, Joseph, but now that I think about it, there's another position that was kind of recently, she she was under our training department and they recently moved her um, under apprenticeship because she she will be helping in this regard. But um, she is a curriculum developer. So for those programs that, you know, are struggling with even um, with with curriculum, uh, in the development piece or just kind of converting what their job, what they want the apprentices to learn, she will be assisting with that. And then, you know, we can determine if they're going to utilize an online source or partner with a community college or those types of things. But we do have that additional person. So um, that that's definitely one of the areas. And then even just with their work processes, breaking down the work processes and the hours and kind of coming up with that piece. So I, I think that's, for the most part, where a lot of our programs tend to, to have a little bit of a, a challenge um, because, again, just not be being fully aware of what an apprenticeship entails or a registered model. So then they have to go in and it takes some time to develop that. 
So a, a lot of times we're finding that it's not even the registration agency um, that's holding them up. It's more so, you know, that they didn't realize what, what all it entailed and then actually going into the full development of their apprenticeship program. Yeah. And I'm sure that curriculum specialist will definitely uh, help them and, and aid in not being tripped up by that curriculum development. Cause I, I agree that it can be something that is hard for employers to wrap their mind around. Cause it's kind of like, they're like, well, we're not in the education business. We just want to train some folks. Right. And so I think that that curriculum specialist would definitely help. And so shifting gears a little bit here, Katrina, we know that traditionally, again, in apprenticeship, it's been construction trades and it's kind of been because of labor laws, it's kind of been strictly for adults or young adults kind of post 20. Uh, But recently there's been a new focus on youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeships and uh, every state approaches youth apprenticeship or pre-apprenticeship differently. And so in New Mexico, Katrina, do you all have a pre-apprenticeship focus or do you all have a specific youth apprenticeship focus? To be quite honest with you, I, I wouldn't say that we've had much of a focus with either. Um, however, with this new grant, we do hope to um, kind of start looking at some of the pre-apprenticeship stuff a little more. And um, that is not something within our policy or regulations that we oversee any type of, um, you know, the, the registration of a, a pre-apprenticeship program, or it's, it's really not formalized here. But just to be able to, to have some different avenues or opportunities to, to guide individuals into apprenticeship, we feel that the pre-apprenticeship realm is a good introductory for them to, to really even market and um, guide them into a, a different career path, or not a different, but a career pathway of the, the building construction trades. Currently, um, one of our, what is it, the Home Builders Association here in New Mexico and a, a couple of our associations that have registered apprenticeship programs um, are utilizing, well, they just proposed to us a, a pre-apprenticeship program um, that they're, they've kind of put together. And it's just due to the aging workforce and the building construction trades and the concern with, you know, lack of having skilled journeymen in the trades in the near future. So they're wanting to be able build that pipeline of a pre-apprenticeship program using the NCCER curriculum. So they had come to us as far as, and the reason they came to us is possibility and not even so much us, but our WEOF folks to be able to um, utilize some of the WIOA training dollars to pay for the instructional piece. So they're partnering with a local community college here to provide that. So we provided some assistance and guidance and we're hopeful they'll take off and be able to, to provide that because I think it would even help with our retention, you know, once they going into a registered program, but hopefully it'll, it'll all work out, but they're actually planning on meeting with our, our union folks as well to be able to, to get their buy-in so it would basically be a pipeline or a feeder for, for all of our building construction trades. But even into other um, trades, you know, really as the state apprenticeship agency, we, we didn't have a real focus on, on that. Some of the, the public um, educational entities had stuff, or even here the city of Albuquerque had the running start for careers under the last administration, and that's basically what it was. It was a pre-apprenticeship program. 
and they did partner with some of our apprenticeship programs. Those individuals, those students interested in the trades, they would take instruction through our um, apprenticeship programs and actually got to go into the, the job to the job site to the employers and get some exposure to the trades. Unfortunately, that went away with our with our new mayor, but probably more so the pre-apprenticeship realm versus the, the youth apprenticeship at this point. Yeah, I heard you talk about the curriculum specialist. And so as you look to prepare younger folks for apprenticeship through pre-apprenticeship or youth apprenticeships, uh, do you see a role for that curriculum specialist kind of working with uh, school districts or the Department of Education to get that NCCR curriculum or other curriculums into high schools and, and, and kind of push down lower? Definitely. I, I think she could be instrumental in helping with that. Even we're doing some what we're calling apprenticeship pathways um, for different companies. And I know she's um, kind of been instrumental, one of them with Stampede Meat. Um, building some curriculum for them to provide some training for employees. So I, I definitely think that she would be able to, to help with that. And I know she's been sitting in some of the, the state and local workforce board meetings. And, you know, obviously there's people from higher ed and public ed in there. So, you know, she's kind of already started doing some of that um, communication with them and being able to, to let them know she's available should they need that. And even, you know, with our building construction trades, just conveying, you know, what industry needs are versus, you know, what public education is putting out there and training within, you know, for the career technical ed programs and stuff to be able to, to get a better, I guess, really a, a better connection between industry and the educational system to ensure that what's being taught at the educational level, the public ed level, is relevant to what industry needs are and looking at the, the curriculums of both and seeing how she can um, help with that. I think that that is critical because that kind of has long been the disconnect, right? You have the educational piece and what's being taught in the educational setting is not necessarily uh, what is needed on the job. So to have that person who can be that liaison, I think is very important for the success of the registered apprenticeship system, but also for the success of the apprentice on the job. And so yeah. you talked a little bit, Katrina, about uh, the home builders program and the pathways that the home builders were seeking to build. Um, how do you encourage or how do you hope to encourage uh, the building of connections in between pre-apprenticeship opportunities and registered apprenticeship programs? You know, I guess just really that having those open lines of communication, even sharing the resources that, that we have a, as a state agency have available to them. So like in this case, you know, it's primarily, like I mentioned, um, a couple of our, our associations here. We had Associated Builders and Contractors and the Associated General Contractors. And we're like, okay, well, what about the unions? You know, they, they'll need this and the they were definitely open and engaging the union people as well to be able to utilize this as a feeder and already had some meetings scheduled with them. So I think us just being, you know, that middleman to kind of say, hey, let's look at this from all perspectives and how can we help each other uh, to ensure that, you know, it, it's going to be a successful outcome 
for for everyone involved. Do you see the opportunity for uh, these same kind of connections to be maybe built in the IT programs in the same way it's been built with the home builders? That really hasn't been something that we've explored at this point. If our IT program does continue after September, I would definitely like to to look into that as a possibility because, as I said, that's like one of the greatest demands for our apprenticeship programs is the IT. So, so I would think so if we're able to retain that. And if not, um, what we're going to have to do is actually explore other opportunities to, to get another potential sponsor to sponsor a registered apprenticeship program in IT. And then from there, possibly move forward in a pre-apprenticeship pathway for IT. Sounds like a great course of action. And so, Katrina, we, we're talking about pre-apprenticeship and youth apprenticeship. And one of the main goals of pre-apprenticeship is to get someone ready to go into a registered apprenticeship program. And so one of the populations that pre-apprenticeship could be targeted towards is the opportunity youth as defined by 16 to 24 year olds who are opportunity youth. Is it something you think about as a director uh, of ways to recruit or engage these opportunity uh, youth to get them involved in your registered apprenticeship programs? Oh, definitely. So we do, you know, we do our typical outreach to go to to the high schools, even middle schools for, for career fairs and provide information. Um, one of the things with our, our new administration here in the state of New Mexico, it's actually been what, a little over a year now, but um, our, our governor is a, a big supporter of apprenticeship. So she wanted to actually recognize uh, apprenticeship. So we had some activities actually planned now in um, in March, which they all ended up being canceled. But um, one of them was that in addition to our typical career fairs going out to the schools, we had actually um, set up some stuff with our program sponsors to go out to the schools. There was different schools in different regions of the state they were going to be going out to and actually setting up some hands-on um, stuff for the for the kids to be able to to engage in so they would get a better feel and perspective of apprenticeship versus you know just talking to them about them and giving them a pamphlet so for them to have some interactive stuff so hopefully at some point we'll be able to to do that again another one of the things that one of the um, associated general contractors here does every year is an apprenticeship rodeo I think that's what they call it, like an apprenticeship rodeo. So some of our other programs that, you know, they go and provide information, but they have all the, like the heavy equipment and it's basically a hands-on type thing too. So students from across the state can come to that and they, they actually, you know, are able to do some of the hands-on. They get to sit in, in the heavy equipment and try and operating it up, you know, obviously with the guidance of some of the journeymen that are there. Even like our sheet metal people will have them make toolboxes or something just, but it's showing them, you know, the tools of the trade and some of the materials. So um, we also, you know, with um, Job Corps, we've done some apprenticeship career fairs with, with the Job Corps students where our apprenticeship programs go in directly and, you know, provide that information 
to the apprentices. So those are some of the things we've done. Could it use some, you know, growing or just, yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot more that we we could do. But with the limited staff that we had, you know, we, we were somewhat limited. So um, now that we have more staff on board and the various regions of the state, I, I foresee we'll be able to do a lot more in those partnering with, you know, the, the public ed to to educate um, students and engage our programs more to, to be able to provide a better picture or understanding of how the impact that, you know, the trades or apprenticeship can have on, on them as students and potential careers in those areas. And so when we talk about Opportunity Youth, I heard you mention the career fairs at the high school and some of the things that you all have done with Job Corps, something that a lot of directors struggle with and a lot of people in the workforce space in general is that you kind of have your 16 to 19 year old Opportunity Youth where either they're still semi-connected to the high school or they're not long removed from the educational system. And so it's a little bit easier to reach that group of individuals. But then you, you, you have your 20 to 24 year olds who they might have been out of high school for a couple of years or they might have went to the community college, didn't finish, and they're kind of disconnected. And it's a lot of directors and workforce people struggle with how to reach those individuals. And so do you have any ideas on uh, is it social media? Is it? commercials how do you think you reach those 20 to 24 year olds one thing that we we've been doing the last i'd say two to three years during national apprenticeship week is that we have an uh, an apprenticeship career fair at the local workforce connection office and well actually i guess it's been two years now because the first year we just did it here in the central region so we actually had quite a few people so they, you know, it was advertised um, in our workforce connection offices and even those individuals that um, are on unemployment, an email blast was sent out to, to them about, you know, the career fair. So if any of them were interested in the trades, there would be programs there. So um, we had a really good turnout of individuals and quite a few, I would say, were probably within that age range that came in and, you know, got information. Last year, we did do it in a couple of our other workforce connection offices too. It wasn't as well received, but that could have just been due to some of the marketing. But, um, you know, that I guess is one way. The other thing too that we are doing with our current apprenticeship grant funding is that we're, we've had some videos made and they're, well, I think they're finalized now is my understanding but they will be, um, I believe, on our website and then additionally YouTube. You know, they'll be able to access them via YouTube. So I know, you know, that age range is really into the electronic media and electronic communication. So hopefully that'll bring some exposure to that age group as well once we are actually able to, to get them on the YouTube and our website. But that's, I, I'd say that's about where we're at right now with that piece of it. Well, I think that most states, uh, from my limited knowledge, are kind of trying to figure out how to engage social media, right? So there's been kind of a change in apprenticeship where we've gone to non-traditional occupations, and now we've kind of had to go to non-traditional ways of recruiting apprentices. And so I think it's 
a growing space for uh, most directors in the country. Right. Yeah, definitely different. So, Katrina, I want to thank you for your time today and taking time out to to do this podcast with us. Uh, is there anything that you would like to share with us before we uh, take off? You know, not right off path. I thank you for the opportunity. It's a great plan that you all have and look forward to, to the outcome. Thank you. I, I want to thank you for your time today, Katrina. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time as well. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off.